So, it's really good to be back with you guys. Um, I always enjoy any opportunity that I have to teach, and I'm really glad to be able to come and be with you guys and uh, share God's Word with you this morning. Um, this morning, if you have your Bibles and you want to start getting ready, we're in Mark 14. Um, specifically, we're going to be looking at Mark 14, 3 through 9, and um, you know what? Why don't I just go ahead and I'll read that for you guys before we get started. Let me just pull it up here. Technology is so nice, I can just type it in and poof, it appears here. So this is Mark 14, 3 through 9. I am reading from the ESV. It says this, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table... A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why, has, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and wherever, whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for, for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So... I have a confession to start us off with. Um, this might shock some of you, but I really love sugar. Now, I know, I know, that's very shocking. I know some of you probably would never have guessed that about me. You probably, I hide it so well, my, my love for all things sweet. Um, and of course, uh, my enjoyment of the finer things in lives, uh, it gets me a little bit excited about when church is over because... Do you know what happens when church is over? That's right, we have, we have tea and coffee, and most importantly, we have biscuits. Um, I, as many of you probably know, I don't really like hot drinks. Like, I don't like coffee, I don't like tea, but I will probably still be one of the first people over there because I want to get some biscuits and start eating some cookies as soon as I can. And I'm also very thankful that Jackie also put squash out there because another sweet treat for me to drink while I'm over there. Now, while I do enjoy going over there and enjoying some cookies and eating the biscuits and all that, that's not the, the reason why we go over there and we enjoy this time with tea and coffee, right? The reason isn't just to partake in what's being provided. It's to create a space, right? It's to create a space where we can come together and hang out and chat and catch up and build a relationship among each other. Like if all I cared about was partaking in what was being provided, I'm missing the point of that whole time. In fact, if I was going to take this to like an extreme level and say that the only reason that I would ever go over there was to have some biscuits, well then what does that mean when there just happens to be no biscuits that day? Maybe we've run out or something like that. Well, does that then mean that if that was my only reason for going, well, then I probably wouldn't go anymore. I would ignore everybody else be, and I would give up on ha hanging out and chatting with anybody because 
why would I do that? I'm not going to get what I want. And sometimes we can look at Jesus the same way. So today's passage marks the start of a new series that we're doing this month that's all around Easter. It's all about Easter. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at some key moments leading up to Easter. Of course, we're going to have time on Good Friday looking at Jesus' sacrifice, and then on Easter Sunday talking about the resurrection. And then at the end of the month, we're all going to talk about kind of like the results of what Jesus did. Right, that's kind of our trajectory for the next several weeks. So with that in mind, let's look again at our story in Mark, what we just read a second ago. And before we can actually talk about that passage, though, you'll notice that it starts at Mark 14, verse 3. Well, we kind of need to know what's going on in Mark 14, verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles open to Mark 14, read verses 1 and 2 along with me. It says this, It was now two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar from the people. Right? So, time frame-wise, what we got to know is that at this time, Jesus has already entered the city, right? The triumphal entry has already happened. Palm Sunday uh, has already happened several days before what we just read. And this whole last week, the, the lead Jews, the, lead, the chief priests and the scribes, they've been constantly trying to challenge Jesus very publicly to try to catch him in his words. They've been asking him all these questions, and they've been trying to pose these like difficult scenarios to him, thinking that he might say something that they could use against him, and they've failed miserably, right? Their plan to catch Jesus in his own words just, just did not work out. So now they're all, they've gathered together. It's like this scene of like, you know, you have all the bad guys gathering together thinking, what are we going to do about the hero? How are we going to get this hero, right? That's what's going on. They're sitting there, they're thinking, how, how do we arrest Jesus? How do we get rid of him? Because he has been shaming us, and we just don't like him that much anymore. And so... With that in mind, with the, with the picture of these chief priests and scribes being desperate to get rid of Jesus, Mark tells us this story. And specifically, Mark is telling us a story that is trying to give us context of what, of what is a neck about to happen next. Right? Let me explain it this way. If we look at the beginning of verse 3, it says, While he was at Bethany. Here's something that always threw me off when I would read through this passage, is that when I read these verses, I would always think that this was happening at the same time of what we just read about the chief priests and the scribes. Like, like in my mind, I would picture that you'd have the chief priests and scribes, they're meeting somewhere, scheming, and at the same time, Jesus is over here in Bethany at this house. But what Mark actually is telling us is he's giving us a flashback. He's actually saying that two days before the before Passover, they're meeting, they're scheming, but before I can tell you what happened, before I can tell you how they concluded how they're going to arrest Jesus, I need you to know this other story that happened a few days before. And the reason I can tell you and know that this is a flashback, that this aren't two things happening at the same time, is a few reasons. First, there is, uh, it says, while he was at Bethany. And Bethany being the key word there, the last time Mark tells us that Jesus was at Bethany was actually back in Mark 11, 
placing Jesus there before the triumphal entry. And the other reason we know that this is a flashback is because while Mark doesn't give us all the details, luckily John, in his gospel, when he tells this story, he gives us a lot of details about it. So in John 12, John gives us the same thing, and specifically, John 12.1, it says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. The reason I'm taking the time to point this all out, the reason why I really want you to understand that this is like a flashback, is that it really helps us understand the narrative reason for why Mark is telling this story right then. It, tell, it lets us know what is, what is the point of the story. Why does Mark include this in his good news about Jesus? And that's because he wants us to know that this story is about Judas. Now, you might be thinking, well, wait a second, Shelby. You read that passage just a second ago. Judas wasn't mentioned anywhere in that passage. Well, hold on. I think by the time I'm done talking today, I think you'll be on my side and understanding why I say that this story is about Judas. So let's go through our passage. Again, verse 3, it says, While he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, he was reclining at table. A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. So we're given a, Mark does give us a few details. He tells us that he's at Bethany and he's at this guy's house named Simon the leper. We can know that Simon's not a leper anymore because otherwise no one would be at the house of Simon the leper. Um, maybe Simon was somebody that was healed by Jesus and that's why he's hosting him. We don't know. All we know is that he's at this house and this woman shows up right and she brings in this bottle of perfume and she breaks it and pours it over his head. And there's some things we really need to understand about that event. First, we, I think it's an important detail that Mark puts in there that she broke it, right? Now, I don't, know, I don't think she came up and like smashed the bottle over Jesus' head or something like that. It's probably just the way of her, what, however it was sealed, whatever, however she had to open it up, basically it was designed that it was not going to be closed once it was open. So she broke it open and she poured out this oil, which means it's, she's doing something she can't take back, right? Once this has been broken, once she's poured out the oil, it's not like she can somehow scoop the oil back up with her hands or something and try to get it back in the flask. The oil has been used. It's gone. It's a one-and-done thing. The other thing we need to know is that this woman is Mary, and we know that because, once again, thanks to John, we have these extra details. We know that Mary is the one that pours out the oil. We also know that Lazarus, her brother, Lazarus being the person that Jesus raised from the dead, is also there, and Martha, her sister, is also there as well. So all three of those siblings are there at this house. And I think what we're, tr what we're supposed to see here is that this is an act of gratitude on Mary's part. Because remember, Jesus has just raised her brother from the dead. Like, she is super thankful for what Jesus has done. And when you think about her, this, this is honestly a sacrifice. She's literally sacrificing something for Jesus. Like, to understand just how significant the sacrifice is, we need to look at the next two verses, which it's kind of weird because 
you'd think that people would be like, wow, look at her devotion to Jesus. But instead, there's people that are angry at her, and those people are Jesus' disciples. Right? Verses 4 and 5, it says this, There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. That little bottle of perfume, that 300 denarii figure, which to us doesn't mean much, but to let you know, that's basically an annual salary. Right? Basically, that little bottle of perfume is the equivalent of one year's worth of salary. Like, let's put it, to try to put it in perspective, imagine that I have invited one of you, you guys, you're coming over to my house. And then when you come over, maybe you've done something for me and I'm inviting you over because whatever you did for me is just, I'm super thankful for. Like, to me, it's priceless, whatever you've done. And you come on over and you're sitting there and I go out and I pull out this bottle of, of wine. And you know, in this imagined scenario, that this bottle of wine is worth 50,000 pounds. You also know that if I open up that wine, that it's suddenly not going to be worth 50,000 pounds anymore. In fact, it's just all of that's basically my life savings. Because, I mean, confession, I'm not that rich. <laughs> so if I did have a bottle of wine that's worth $50,000, that is, that would be like a huge amount of money. That would be basically my annual salary, that I, more than my annual salary, actually, that I would be giving up. And yet, I'm so thankful to you that I open it up and I pour you a glass. That's what she's doing. Mary is literally taking her family's like life savings. Her, this like is probably what their wealth was. This is where their wealth was stored. They knew that their savings account was basically this bottle of oil, and she is willing to give it all to Jesus. And it's weird to me that the people who scold her are not her family who are literally watching their wealth being poured out, but it's some of Jesus' disciples. And while Mark and then Matthew, who also tells this story, doesn't give us the names of the disciples who are grumbling, John is more than happy to. And this is when it comes back to what I told you before, that this passage is about Judas. Because John tells us that the disciple that's angry at Mary, the disciple that says this thing about, oh, it could have been sold to the poor, or sold and then given to the poor, is Judas. And John doesn't just tell us that it was Judas who said this. John gives us a little insight into what Judas was really thinking. You see, Judas was saying the right things, but he was saying the right things to hide what his heart really wanted. Some of you know my testimony, and that when I was in uni to go to film, I would say the right thing to people. Like, I would tell people I wanted to become a missionary to Hollywood, that I wanted to go into the film industry because there needed to be more Christians, and I was going to bring a Christian influence and all that stuff that sounded really nice. But really, I just wanted to go be rich and famous. I really didn't care about being a missionary to Hollywood. I didn't care about being a Christian in Hollywood. I, I selfishly wanted to go go and make movies so that I could have my names and lights and that I could have lots of money. That's really my reason why. But I said the right thing. And that's what Judas is doing. Because you see, John 12, 6 gives us this juicy detail. It says, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Judas was following Jesus 
because he saw that he could get a financial benefit out of it, right? Judas may have started following Jesus for good reasons. Maybe at the beginning he did honestly follow Jesus because he thought, oh, this guy knows something and I need to follow him. But now his, his faithfulness was being fueled by his greed. Judas would have only come to the tea and coffee table because he could get what he wanted from it. And the minute that whatever he wanted was gone, he was gone. He didn't care. He would not have come to fellowship. He would not have come to hang out. He would only have come to be able to get what he could take. And the thing is, is that Jesus knew all of this. And still Jesus tries to reach out to Judas. Read verses 6 through 9 with me, with this in mind. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. See, Jesus rebukes him, not, not because Jesus is saying you should ignore the poor, but because Jesus is trying to get Judas's focus back onto Jesus, back onto himself, right? Because do you think Jesus knew that Judas stole from the money bag? I mean, of course he did. Jesus is God, right? We have many examples throughout the gospel of Jesus just knowing what other people are thinking. His, Jesus knew what Judas wanted when he said that statement. We also know that Jesus knew that Judas would be the one to betray him, right? Jesus knew what Judas was going to do in less than a week from when this happened. So think about how powerful this statement is. Jesus is staring at Judas. Jesus knows everything that's going on in Judas's heart. Jesus knows that Judas is going to betray him. And Jesus tells Judas, you will not always have me. Jesus is basically shouting at Judas, saying, hey, I am more precious than that oil. I am more precious than having 300 denarii. I am more precious than 30 pieces of silver. One thing that always amazes me about reading the Gospels, especially when it comes to Jesus and Judas, is that Jesus, even though he knows what's going to happen, even though he knows what Judas is thinking, even though he knows what Judas is going to do, Jesus does not give up on Judas. He always keeps reaching out to him because Jesus does not give up on people. And how amazing is that, right? Because I know that this week, I know this week that I will sin. I know this week that I am going to selfishly indulge in something instead of spending time with God. I know that I'm going to be act proud and selfish, and I'm going to probably do a lot of different things that are not going to be pleasing to my Lord, and yet Jesus knows that as well, and Jesus is still going to be there to reach out to me. Jesus will stand there, and he'll remind me, hey, I, I need to change my focus. Jesus will stand there and remind me that I need to look at him, and when I finally do that, when I choose to focus on Jesus, Jesus will be ready. You see, Judas had a choice. Judas 
could have stopped focusing on his greed, right? Jesus, like in this moment, Jesus is like, this is probably like the camel that broke the, I mean the camel that broke the straw's back, the straw that broke the camel's back for Judas, right? Jesus is like saying, Judas, you need to give up your want for these earthly treasures and follow me with all your heart. But Judas doesn't decide to do that. Because you see, Judas only wanted to follow him as long as he could get something from him. And you know, Jesus does promise that he's going to give us things, right? We've talked about earlier about how when you come to Jesus, Jesus promises that he will give you rest, right? Jesus says that, you know, if you seek first the kingdom of God, all these things will be added unto you, right? That God knows our wants, God will provide for our needs. But Jesus doesn't promise that following him is going to lead to earthly wealth, right? Jesus never says, follow me, and you're going to have a bank account with a lot of money in it. The reason that Jesus says that what Mary did is going to be told with the good news, right? He says that what she's done, whenever the gospel will be, be proclaimed, what she has done will be told as well, is because that's the picture of what it looks like to follow Christ, we come to him thankful for what he's done and willing to give him everything. We don't come expecting some kind of gain of worldly riches. Instead, we come willing to give him everything that we value in this life. Jesus is ready for anybody who is willing to do that, and Judas was not willing. And so we come to the end of our passage, but we can't end there, because like I said, Mark was telling this story to give you some background information about the Pharisees, about their little meeting, about trying to figure out what they're going to do with Jesus. And so what Mark does is he suddenly brings us back from the past, back to the present, in verses 10 and 11, and he tells us this, Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And so he sought an opportunity to betray him. Judas discovered that the tea and coffee table had run out of biscuits. His, his greed had blinded him to the fact that he had just spent years, day in and day out, with literally God incarnate. He was so close to getting true heavenly riches that could far exceed anything this world could offer, and yet he would rather give all of that up for what he could gain in this life. See, one thing that's always been interesting to me is when you read through the Gospels, you're not actually told a ton about Judas. Like, you never get a very explicit, like, inner thought of Judas did this because blah 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 so I think what we get with Mark and Matthew and John when they tell this story they're telling us this story because this is the specific insight into why Judas did what he did essentially Mark is showing that Judas was challenged by Jesus he was challenged to be like the woman be like the woman who saw that Jesus was worth more than anything this world could offer. And Judas realized that he had to make a decision. Is he coming, is he coming to the tea and coffee time because of the biscuits, or is he coming because he actually wants to fellowship with somebody else? 
Is he following Jesus just because he can get something from Jesus, or is he coming to follow Jesus because he actually wants to know who Jesus is? And Mark shows us what Judas decided. And so what happens, why this story is so important and why it gets shared is because the Bible, what Mark is doing is he's asking us who are reading this, who are we going to choose to be like? Because we could be like Mary, who is willing to give up her worldly wealth to follow Jesus, to show Jesus her gratitude, to come to Jesus, and she didn't care what she could gain from Jesus. She wanted to give everything to Jesus. Or are we going to be like Judas, who only follows Jesus as long as we can get something from him, and as soon as we realize we're not going to get any more, we leave? So what? In our story in Mark, Jesus is only a few days away from the cross. But fortunately for us, we live thousands of years after, right? We get the privilege to look back and learn, well, what does it look like to follow Jesus? We get to learn about the real benefits, because there are real benefits to the Christian life, right? We learn about, <coughs> sorry, we learn about how we should be loving God and loving people. We learn about how God really does know what we want, that God really does love us and he wants to provide for us. But are we sometimes so greedy that we want more than what Christ will give? Does our greed blind us to the creator who loves us and sees us? And as we look to Easter, let us be willing to be like Mary willing to offer up the greatest of our worldly possessions to the Lord because we are so thankful for what he has done. We don't want to be like Judas, who wasn't willing to give up this world's treasures for heaven's joy. So two questions to leave you guys with. First, how is Jesus reaching out to you today? How is Jesus reaching out to you this week? And second, is there anything you would not be willing to give up for Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much that you do not give up on people. That even though we are a people who fail, we are a people who constantly turn away, that we are all like sheep who have gone astray, each one to his own way. And yet, you come and you follow us and you call after us. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for sending your son. Jesus, thank you so much for pursuing our hearts. I pray that today and every day, we will just be thankful for what you've done for us. We'll be thankful for the love that you've poured out on us and that our thankfulness will lead us to just be willing to give you whatever it is that we have. That we see you as more precious than any kind of earthly wealth. We see you more precious than money, more precious than a fine perfume, for more precious than anything that we could possibly own. God, thank you so much again for being our Heavenly Father who loves us and sees us. And I pray today that we will be a people who are faithful to follow after you.
In your name, amen.